Hi everyone, my name is Johnny McCormick and you're listening to Spoke. This week on the show I'm joined by Michael Howe. Michael is one of the co-founders of Campus Capital, and Campus Capital is an alternative venture capital firm aimed at helping university students to become venture capitalists. In many ways, Campus Capital operates like a traditional venture fund. They raise capital from institutional investors like banks and some high net worth individuals, and they seek to deploy that money into high growth, high potential startups. But what makes them different is that the venture capitalists aren't all industry veterans with decades of experience. They're students. Students can apply to become a student VC, and they will run every aspect of the deal, from sourcing a deal right through to signing a check that invests in a startup. During our conversation, Michael shares his story of entrepreneurial adventures as a young person, to starting some companies himself, and latterly starting this innovative VC firm. It's a great conversation, so let's jump in. So, Michael, I always like to um, start by giving my guests the opportunity to introduce themselves in their own words. So I suppose I'd like to hand over to you at this stage to introduce yourself to our audience. What would you normally say to introduce yourself? Well, this is uh, something I, I'm seemingly not very good at, uh, as uh, if you ask any of my friends, they don't really understand what I do, um, and they, they usually fail this question. But uh, I suppose it's uh, the short summary uh, that I've, I've used a couple of times is I'm an ex-teapot salesperson that's uh, turned into a tech entrepreneur and uh, now an investor. Okay, so that doesn't seem like the the most natural career progression in the world. Can you tell me how someone goes from teapot sales to tech entrepreneur? Yeah, so I, it was it kind of started uh, back when I was um, fourteen. Uh, my friend and I were um, hanging out as we always used to do, and uh, we came across a, a Sega Mega Drive at the side of the road uh, as we were. Uh, terrible at sharing and lived uh, about two miles apart from each other. Uh, we decided that the best option was to sell it um, uh, and make some money. Uh, we uh, we we went on to this uh, this process. This kind of spurred on to um, a business that was uh, ended up becoming cheap auctions of us uh, buying and selling uh, huge amounts of overstock goods. And so we kind of took the uh, the original 150 pounds we got from the Sega Mega Drive, uh, ended up buying firstly VHS videotapes just as DVDs were coming in. Uh, but that was a perfect opportunity to to buy cheap and uh, you know split down and sell individually while still people wanted them. Um, and then this kind of built up a bit of collateral for us, and we started looking at for other things that we could uh, buy and sell. Um, and so this kind of led us to. Um, a massive storage warehouse which held uh, huge amounts of overstocked goods uh, and one of those items was a, a you know a pallet load of pg tips uh, pyramid teapots uh, and this was um, a slight overlook by them i don't know if you remember the the promotion back there but uh, uh, a pyramid tea bag was apparently the the pinnacle of innovation within uh, the teabag industry. Uh, they spent millions on on marketing this, and one of the things they did was uh, strap a, a, a pyramid-shaped teapot to each pack of uh, teabags for a while. Um, the thing that they overlooked was actually we drink a lot of tea, uh, and by the t- the promotion was still running by the time most people went back to buy a second box of uh, teabags, but most people didn't want an extra teapot. 
so uh, a lot of these got returned uh, and then they ended up in this storage warehouse, which we bought uh, them each for 25 pence a, a unit and ended up selling them for uh, around 28 pounds to uh, some very gullible Americans. Wow, that's um, that's incredible. How old were you whenever those sort of early ventures were kicking off, Michael? That was uh, about 14 or 15. Uh, so my friend was still doing his paper round uh, at the time we kind of started those early early trades. Wow. And did you have a job before that? Or were you always sort of quite entrepreneurial looking for ways to make your own money? Yeah, I, d- I don't know where this really came from. I, I kind of blame my friend's dad, actually. Um, uh, he was... Uh, uh, Liam grew up in a house with uh, parents that both ran a training business um, and would always encourage us to to do entrepreneurial things in our in our free time rather than just hang around their house. Um, so you know they, they just did the standard things of encouraging us to do car washing and 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 such like, uh, and, and would also regularly take us to cash and carries to buy bulk load of sweets to sell in uh, in the store school playground. There was no spying it from a, a corner shop and trying to sell it for a markup. It was buying in huge volume uh, and selling it in huge volume so um that's kind of that's kind of the root of uh, of where this has come from both my parents are uh, you know they don't really understand business and uh, i don't think would have chosen this path for me yeah that's really interesting so michael i suppose one of the reasons i reached out um to have you on the show was I'm really interested in Campus Capital which you're one of the co-founders of I'm wondering just before we jump into hearing a little bit about what Campus Capital does can you just explain more broadly a little bit about what venture capital is and what a venture capitalist might do for anyone who's listening to the show and doesn't know sure so uh, venture capital is um uh, an institutional fund manager so they um they work they don't own the money themselves um they they're, they're an employee like um any kind of other uh, funder uh, they they look for early stage uh, well in our case early stage op- opportunities but opportunities within um businesses uh, to buy equity um so this is really early stage before banks would be lending to um uh, to businesses right the way through to um, at later stage companies, I, I suppose if you follow um, the tech industry, you can see rounds that are, you know, are not early stage, but um, are still taking venture capital um, on board. Um, but but effectively, it's it's just the exchange of uh, of money, um, investment money for for equity, rather than any other um, financial instrument. Okay, sure. So it sounds like just to really, really simplify this, get it really boiled down, that a typical um, venture capital firm would take money from an institutional investor, like maybe a investment bank or a a larger fund of some description. They would then look for early stage or high growth startups to partner with and invest in them for a share of equity. Is Is that about it in a nutshell? Yeah, you've done it much better than me. Uh, but yes, that, that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> uh, Great. So I, I suppose one thing I'm interested in, Michael, is how did you find your way into this industry? What was your sort of your route into venture capital? Sure. So I was uh, actually running um, a tech startup uh, based in Sheffield. And for anyone that knows uh, the UK, Sheffield, um, or doesn't know the UK, Sheffield's um, uh, apparently the fourth largest city in the UK, but really it isn't. It's uh, I think they only managed to get that claim by putting their welcome to Sheffield signs miles away from the city centre. Um, but the but effectively, I was I was running this uh, this 
high growth focused tech startup with only a very small support network and really no investor network in in Sheffield. Uh, so I spent a, a large amount of my time uh, fundraising for this uh, business in London. Um, it's only a couple of hours down on the train, but it's still a large drain when you're only a three man uh, team with uh, two technical uh, co-founders and, and yourself. You're, you're you're the only one out on the road, uh, constantly knocking on doors uh, while the uh, the team are trying to to build the product um, uh, back home. Uh, and going through this kind of experience uh, of trying to raise, uh, I think uh, the initial raise was uh, an £800,000 raise uh, in London from a range of VCs and angels, uh, which we ended up over a period of six months uh, getting fully pledged and uh, ended up being overfunded. Uh, but then one uh, VC fund actually decided the terms weren't actually right for them. Uh, they pulled the uh, investment from from that business, uh, and that preceded a very quick two week uh, explosion of the round, where uh, I realised that a lot of other funders were uh, just following other funders, and it was a it was a game of sheep, and it was uh, it was something I actually hadn't realised was was going on. Um, I thought everything in my very um, positive focus was was going well, and we were overfunded, and everything was going the right direction, but um, it, yeah, it managed to to take over seven or eight months of my uh, my focus away from the business. Um, and then I ended up with actually barely anything uh, to, to show for it. I managed to luckily get the business through that rocky period and, and it still managed to grow it and get early stage customers and, and go on from there. So it's not a, not a terrible story, but it was a, it was a realization that I, I, like a lot of entrepreneurs had embarked on a, a process that I hadn't really understood fully. Um, I understood my business fully, but I didn't understand the venture game. Um, and this kind of led me on to, uh, you know, reading up more about it, understanding more about it and actually speaking to a few people in in Sheffield, realizing that actually it wasn't just me. Um, and uh, someone I spoke to very early doors about this was uh, Samantha Deacon, who's my business partner. Uh, she works at the University of Sheffield in the enterprise di division. Um, and uh, uh, she'd seen this time and time again. Either entrepreneurs would go through this process, waste a lot of time and have nothing to show for it or they would very quickly realize that Sheffield wasn't the place to build their business because of the money and the money only, nothing else. You know, it really is a really good environment for a business, you know, low rent, uh, good prices for employees, but actually, um, and, you know, a great lifestyle, but but actually the, the funding isn't there. So a lot of these entrepreneurs would come out of university, realize this and then leave, um, which is obviously bad for the, for the ecosystem and the environment altogether. Um, so that was kind of the, a, a conversation over a coffee uh, and and realization that this was really broken, especially in the north of England, um, was the the founding of of Campus Capital and and us trying to find a better solution um, for uh, for venture capital in the in the north and and also the understanding of how venture capital really works. Sure. So I suppose that leads quite nicely into asking you to tell us a little bit about Campus Capital. Can you tell us a um, little bit about how the firms, you've told us a little bit about how the firm was born, but can you tell us a little bit about why they might be considered different to a traditional VC firm? Yeah. So um, uh, in your great description of venture capital, uh, uh, the uh, the 
uh, normal VCs are um, a, a range of employees, um, usually from a junior level. Uh, you could be speaking to either an analyst or, um, a, you know, a, a first rung employee right the way up to a partner track um, who are um, who generally make the decisions. Um, but this structure is roughly true and true through most VC funds where there's uh, partners that make decisions and then there's a whole load of um I want to call them a better word, but underlings who uh, go out and, uh, you know, source deal flow, take meetings with uh, with founders and generally you find that those initial rung of employees that you meet as a founder have never been there before and they've never actually been uh, entrepreneurs before. And they just kind of they're just kind of put there in front as a lower paid employee to, to, to kind of deal source uh, for uh, for the fund. Um and it was through that infuriating process of speaking to people that that really didn't understand, wouldn't very give, wouldn't give you any feedback back, and also didn't have the knowledge to really help. Um, that I was like, well, we can we can definitely do something differently here. Um, and looking over to the states, uh, there's a there's a number of funds that um, are doing something radically different, and one of them was called the Dorm Room Fund, um, which was. Um, a fund offering very early stage money, um, you know, only 20,000 US dollars, but fully managed by students. And the the thing that I saw in that model was actually not the fact that, um, you know, that these are run by students, but it was the fact that uh, it was a learning environment for both on both sides of the table, um, which instantly removes uh, any egos out of the room. Um, and it allows for there to be an exchange of knowledge for both ways. You know, the, the founders there pitching their business, something they should be really knowledgeable about. But also the investor on the other side of the table is keen to kind of show that they're learning and show that they've just learned something about venture capital and they can really make an impact by helping this uh, this founder out. So we, we built um, our model in a very similar way to um, uh, Dormoon Fund, where we have um, initial panel of uh, students, and these can be made um, from anywhere from first year right the way through to PhDs, generally with a focus more on uh, the PhD master level uh, uh, students. Um, and they do the initial analysis and initial meetings with founders. They're the ones that make the, the early stage decisions on which businesses should get put forward and which businesses should uh, get rejected. But more importantly, because it's a learning exercise for them as well, they're there to make sure that the founder really understands why they're getting a no um, and uh, you know why they why maybe even in some cases venture capital really isn't the right path for them and they should probably stop before they waste too much of their time you know, and, and turn to a different route. So can you tell us a little bit about how it works practically? So what I'm what I'm trying to get at here is sort of where's the money coming from, who's managing it, who are making, you know, who, who are the people that are making the investment decisions? What does that whole sort of end-to-end process look like from how you guys get money to how you then distribute it to potential startups? Yeah, so uh, within the UK, this is a highly regulated uh, environment, and this is kind of the reason why Campus Capital needs to exist uh, in the states it's it's some something slightly different but um uh with us uh, it, it really comes down to um uh, myself and samantha who are uh, appointed representatives of uh, larp and newton um this allows us to 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 act within the fca regulations we go out to um a, a range of high net worths currently but we are uh, in the process of, of discussing with a number of other funds um 
uh, to build up a, a fund pot. So last year we announced a, a two million pound fund uh, that was with just high net worth money, uh, looking to invest into the earlier stage uh, of companies. Um, once we have that pot in place, um, the uh, pitches pitches are open. Um, anyone uh, from our original city regions um, are able to to pitch us. So that's either founders. Um, that have graduated from uh, the university or who are maybe still at university right the way through to um, companies that are just based within the city region of our partner universities. Uh, these pitches then come through generally through our website. They're funneled to, to the right um, team who um, kind of huddle around uh, these, these opportunities. Um, they do the initial analysis and they make the sole decision without our input on which ones should should go forward and which ones don't. This actually is a, a really good um, process uh, in a way because actually it removes any of our bias towards trends and other things. They get to see things from fresh eyes and we get new fresh eyes um, every uh, 12 months or, or so, um, which means every pitch that comes in um, you know, doesn't have uh, this this kind of slight bias towards things that we've seen before, maybe have failed. Um, you know, we we are really assessing each business on its own merit at, at the point that it gets pitched, um, and then at that point, um, they 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 usually take one or two meetings on their own with the founders. They they create a report and a pack, and this goes through to a an investment committee um, to make sure that the the, the decision that uh, to make sure this is investments going forward is is you know passed through a regulatory process and uh, is made. Um, safe and secure. Sure. So whenever you say that the group of students are doing that initial analysis, what what sort of analysis are we talking about here, Michael? What are this what's the sort of thing that they're looking for and what are they going through? Well um yeah I, I suppose uh, the way I've always seen venture capital is it's a real people uh, game. I mean at the end of the day um uh, you know, founders are the people that make businesses work. Um, and it's really bad if you end up judging a business based upon a pitch deck. Uh, and I know a number of VCs are are going towards this process where you fill out form after form on a website uh, and they make uh, a judgment based upon a number of set questions on whether they should, you know, take this forward or not. I find that, you know, generally the pitch decks are messy. Generally, the pitch decks have holes in it. Um, but the most important thing is to sit down with that founder and have a bit of one-to-one -to -one time with them and judge whether they are really passionate about um, the the project they're undertaking um, and whether they have the skills, knowledge, and you know the entrepreneurial uh, mindset really um, to to make this work and to iterate through any problems that they'll have. Uh, and because of that, um, we encourage all of the uh, the students to first and foremost, you know, look through the pitch deck. Obviously, if there's nothing in it and you know it's it's a you can see it's a crazy crackpot idea then obviously give some feedback that they'll need to do some more iterations and go through a process before resubmitting but if it's if there's something there take that meeting find out if that founder's really got what it takes and uh, you know kind of do that one-to-one -one personal analysis before you start jumping down into you know is the market there are the numbers there you know are we going to be able to have they done enough um uh, to to validate the claims that they've they they think they're going to base their business on. Yeah, I, f I find that 
personally really interesting. Um, so I do a reasonable amount of reading, I suppose, about this this industry. And I think, you know, one of the things that you have hit on is that a lot of firms seem to be moving towards trying to remove the the person out of the equation almost. So they're looking for more data, more quantitative evidence, more, I suppose, rigidity within a process because it allows them to funnel out who they may see as time wasters. It sounds like the approach that you're trying to take at Campus Capital is balancing that a little bit better. So it's absolutely focusing on the hard things. So focusing on the quantitative data, the patterns, the trends, and the things that can be measured, but also inviting the person into the process and hearing a little bit about the the people that come up with these ideas and where their their hopes and dreams um, for the idea going is, I suppose. Yeah, and that's actually really where the learnings are, um, you know, the, the real opportunity for our student VCs is, you know, the meeting real founders that are really on that journey and being able to help them. But it's also that one-to-one learning that these student VCs would never get in any other format. Um, so it's it's taking a problem that the industry is really getting annoyed with, which is, you know, they're having to, um, you know, have a, a, a large headcount um, and actually they're not seeing much monetary value for those those early stage employees uh, or those analysis, those, uh, those um, uh, principles, investment principles. Um, uh, and then converting actually into this learning platform, uh, which which benefits both sides, um, and that's kind of what we what we're really focused on is making sure that everyone gets something out of this process, even if it's not the money and the investment that they they aimed for, or on the other side, you know whether the student VC applied to try and be a, a VC. Well, it's a very small industry. Actually, the chances are they'll they'll learn a lot about business and learn a lot about how to pitch VCs and you know how to to potentially you know get one up on on the process and and when they start their company that they 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 have a better knowledge of how the industry really works so can you tell us a little bit about what a student vc might go through like do they have to apply to be part of this what's their sort of their time commitment is this a full time thing over the course of a year can you share a little bit about what that process for a student engaging with campus capital might look like yeah, so uh, we're in the process of um, uh, announcing and launching uh, the campus capital community across the UK, uh, which is something that is a large change from what we've done in the previous years. Previously, we've only worked with a number of um, universities, so University of Sheffield, University of Manchester, and then Lancaster um, towards the later part of the year. Um, we realised that that slow uh, approach wasn't serving the need of the, the university students who are contacting us from uh, right the way to ca- places in Canada um, and and abroad uh, where they were they were kind of really keen to get this knowledge and experience um, but they needed someone to deliver this so we've taken the first big step towards that goal um, and uh, allowed any UK student uh, across the the country to apply uh, to be part of the community first and then enroll into a student VC program at their own university. Um, and this uh, basically takes them through a, a couple of step uh, process uh, to judge their uh, ability to to analyse uh, and uh, ability to, to think freely, which is something I don't think universities really teach. Um, and we we go through that that kind of multi-step process and and try and build um, a team of of ten to fifteen student VCs from a really diverse uh, range of of backgrounds, skills, um, uh, and yeah, and knowledge uh, at in each campus. And what's the what's the sort of the turnover for student VCs? Like what 
do they are they on a set program, Michael, um, that that requires them to commit for a certain amount of time? So there's no commitment. At the end of the day, they're on um, uh, effectively a part-time training program, which we uh, try and fund uh, through a number of means, through either sponsorship or um, in some cases through, um, well, in most cases through the university paying for the program for their students. So Lancaster uh, has paid now for, for two years for their for the program to happen at their campus. Um so the commitment really is uh, is peer led commitment. You know that they they, they realise they're joining um, something that's a bit greater than a society and has a lot more responsibility for a society. They sign up to a commitment to us to make sure that information is kept confidential and all the all the um, regulatory things are are clear. Um, but if, but effectively, there's no dead on time commitment. They kind of fit it in around their their current university um, skills, uh, so university um, demands. Um, and the, the the real bonus there is that they get to leave university with sometimes up to you know two years worth of real investment experience, um, which they've managed to fit in like a job in a coffee shop uh, or uh, or you know uh, just done in their free time in evenings and weekends. Do you find that this is a good way to bring more diversity into the investment industry and sort of break out of that echo chamber? So I'm, I'm just reflecting back on one of the things that you shared whenever you were trying to raise some money, and that's that firms were following other firms. So as soon as one goes, it sort of it, it starts that domino effect where a couple of other firms get get panicked that one person has left, and then they 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 therefore pull their funding. So you is this a way to bring um, more diversity into the industry and sort of avoid that echo chamber a little bit? Yeah, it's been one of our our core um, prominent goals from from day one. Um, you know, we we realise that there's a diversity issue within venture capital, but also within um, early stage tech startups and you know female founders, uh, as well as um, uh, founders from diverse backgrounds. And one of the problems we we see with the industry is that actually um, when you're going to pitch and you don't see um, a face that is uh, the same as yours or the uh, you know a, a person that has a similar background um you know even from for me if there's if i'm pitching a panel of investors that i can tell have never run uh you know a, a company before have never never done those early teapot trades or you know there's 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 not something there and there are some vcs out there that have really amazing backgrounds and they've they've been there and done it but that a lot of them don't um and this is one of the things that we um, we we want to see. We're never going to be able to build, um, you know, huge entrepreneurial background in all these people. But we, what we can do is is help with, um, you know, making sure that a, a wide range of uh, diverse uh, students from diverse backgrounds have an interest in venture capital, uh, and maybe take that that step towards towards that industry. Are you able to share, Michael, what some of the people who are student VCs or have been student VCs in the past go on to do after they finish university? So like you say, they're leaving university, you know, with this great experience of having been involved in something like this for X number of years. They have a bit of a leg up potentially in terms of the the job market. What are those people going on to do? Because they seem like really impressive students. So I, I suspect that they're probably going on to do some really impressive things afterwards 
Yeah, one of the things we actually battle with is that title student. A lot of uh, negative connotations uh, happen whenever we say student VCs. They think, uh, you know, people that uh, go get drunk at the every opportunity possible. But uh, our student VCs are, are a pretty awesome bunch. Um, uh, you know, to to name a few pathways uh, we've had out of the first year in Manchester, uh, one of the um, the the lead student VCs who were actually pivotal in bringing um, the program to the university uh, went on to work for a, a startup um, in a in a kind of leading role uh, within the innovation team. Uh, it was able to bring a lot of the knowledge uh, with regards to how venture capital works and how growth business works uh, and applied it to that company. Uh, but we've also had the you know the, the standard. Uh, uh, where you'd expect people to come through a, a student VC program end up. So we've had uh, people end up in in Coots, um, a very competitive um, graduate scheme uh, where only two uh, graduates were accepted. Uh, one of those was a student VC. We've also had uh, someone go from um, an MBA, um, go through our uh, student VC program and ended up in Octopus Ventures, which uh, is a large venture capital firm in London. Uh, and I suppose, um, yeah, there's the pathways are actually getting quite hard to track now. Uh, we, I think we're up to uh, nearly 80 students that have gone through um, or 50 students that have gone through our, our process so far. And, and with opening up this up to the UK, it's going to become even even more so in, in the next year. Wow, that's that's incredible. Has it, it might be too early for this, Michael, but has anyone sort of come full circle yet? So they've done the student VC thing. They've then decided to go and start their own company and then come back to Campus Capital looking looking for investment. It, I think that is too early. Uh, we haven't seen that yet. Uh, we hope to see it. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll be eagerly awaiting our first student VC pitching us. Um, but, uh, but to a certain extent, I think... Uh, you know, our, our program doesn't hide um, anything where I think a lot of um, if you read blog post after blog post about venture capital, um, usually they're written by VCs that with their main aim is to generate deal flow. So as much as they will have some open, honest truths, you know, to try and give uh, founders the reality of venture capital, their main goal is to encourage you to to stay on that journey and, and to come and uh, to come and pitch you. We kind of take a different approach. <laughs> we we we're we're probably as happy when we encourage a founder to take the right path for them, uh, rather than uh, you know constantly chase that dream of of a high growth business if that really isn't right for them. Uh, so we've had a number of students that have gone through our process and and have openly said uh, they will never be starting a venture capital backed business, and that's fine. That was what that's their decision, and that's what they you know they now understand the really inner workings of venture capital and why it doesn't work for for some people. Hopefully, that's useful for people. What are some of the long term objectives that you have for Campus Capital, Michael? You know, it's really clear um, you've got a lot of passion for this, and um, you've shared a little bit about why you decided to start it. Where do you want this to go um, longer term? Well, uh, the step uh, with the um, campus capital community is is really our our first step towards uh, the the grander vision where we would like to have a campus capital on every campus across the UK. Um, this would not only uh, solve that um, that thirst for for knowledge that the students seem to have uh, and we constantly get uh, contacted about, um, but it will also allow us to deliver. Uh, that kind of really efficient early stage funding mechanism across the UK, which I think is missing. Um, uh, the currently, if you're a 
you know, first time founder, or even if you're, you know, a, a multiple time founder, you're, you're looking for that, um, that early stage money, the, the 50 K to 250, that that is currently hidden within a number of high net worths pockets, which are, they're generally quite hard to, to find or corral. They go on ski, ski holidays or summer holidays and, uh, and trying to, to find them is, is a, is a process in itself. And actually at that really early stage, that's when your time and focus should be really on the business, not on chasing uh, the money. Um, so we we want to create um, that vehicle uh, for that really, you know, like I say, efficient early stage process and then take those uh, funded companies through um, a, a more efficient elevator um, to the other funders, uh, the larger funders in London uh, and make sure that those they, they see the early stage deals um, right the way up to, you know, Glasgow or, or, or Newcastle, wherever it is. Um, a place where they they don't go on a daily basis, uh, we can kind of help um, kind of bridge that gap without having to put all the uh, the the time commitment on on those founders. Yeah, great. So it does introduce, um, from your perspective, quite a lot of efficiency into that process. Suppose um, one thing that I'm wondering now then is, do you continue to work with the companies that you? Um, invest in and how does how does that work who is who is doing the work with those companies do you come on board as an advisor or do the student vcs can continue working with them after they've made an initial investment yeah so this is a this is something that we're i suppose going through some growing pains on um it, we you know we are a small team still and we're still trying to to find um like any kind of two-sided marketplace business you know you can you can only really scale one side at a time um and I suppose we're still looking for that that perfect model, um, but at the moment, uh, while we while we still have uh, uh, small commitments, um, mainly it's m- myself and Samantha that uh, offer that kind of really early stage support uh, within the business. Um, but we would look to in the future uh, scale out that support team. Um, I really like the VCs that that not only offer money um, and the the uh, I suppose the they always talk about being a value added VC, but I really like the ones that take away some of the the pointless services um, that that need to be replicated across all of their portfolio. You know, whether it's HR or whether it's uh, you know early stage marketing or or branding or whatever it is, um, you know, legal. All of that shouldn't really be commissioned to every single company because there's no efficiencies in doing that. Um, so we would look to to scale out our kind of um, professional support team uh, as we grow. Michael, are you able to share with us what some of the biggest struggles have been in starting um, Campus Capital and then also some of the biggest successes? Yeah, so I suppose the um, one of the biggest struggles uh, has been that is the regulation. I mean, I, I think both uh, Sam and I went into this completely blind. Um, my my approach to life is always, well, everything's possible. Um and when we sat in a coffee shop going, well, you know, this is broken, let's fix it. Um, it didn't kind of cross our minds that we don't have, uh, you know, a, you know, McKinsey background or a, a financial accounting background or anything like that. Uh, and then we went off um, quite quickly, actually found a, a way to do this. Um, and we always find problems, you know, solve these problems. But the burden um, of, you know, the regulation is, is pretty strong, especially when you're trying to do something that's... Um, perceived by a lot of people as very highly risky um uh, so so yeah that, that was probably 
one of the biggest challenges trying to make sure that that works and uh you know and, and there's always there's always the the daily challenges of making sure that we have the the you know the right money in and uh, and we're growing to to do that yeah sure and what about your biggest successes so far i mean so, uh, the any time we get a university to pay us money is a massive success. <laughs> I, I mean, if anyone has ever, in fact, it's a, a well known within uh, investors and, and uh, VCs that if you get a business that's pitching you that's saying they're going to sell to universities, probably say no, because they are they are probably one of the largest, you know, largest groups of organisations in the UK. And they are so um, you know, being nice to them, but they are slightly dysfunctional. They, you know, they're all siloed teams. Uh, they all roughly hold their own budgets. Um, as some have different groups that are called the same thing, but are totally structured in 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 different ways. So I could be talking to an enterprise team in one um, university that is their own, um, um, you know, profit making entity. Uh, and then you can go to another university and they, they have an enterprise team, but they're a loss making entity working based on grants alone. And then you go to another university and it's part of the enterprise and skill services, you know, the size skill services. And they're, they're there really just to make sure that people um, get the students get jobs out the back of the university. And uh, yeah, it's quite amazing how um, what you would think would be a kind of cookie cutter business esque um, is so different and and so uh, diverse. So yeah, uh, every time we get money from a university is a is a massive massive win. Yeah, feels like a big win. Um, so sort of, I suppose one of the final questions on campus capital. Um, what's been the thing that has surprised you most on the campus capital journey so far? Um. I, I suppose I suppose it's our students really. Um, I, I am always amazed by how much energy and how much thirst they have for uh, for you know the venture capital industry, but also the knowledge that they're trying to gain. These are sometimes you have to pinch yourself that these are you know eighteen you know twenty year olds um, just you know taking their first steps, sometimes doing a, a degree that they've. Um, maybe chosen wrongly, I would say. Uh, you know, they've 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 kind of set that path because school has kind of told them they were good at something, and then they they've kind of gone. Well, that's the obvious progression is to go and do a university degree in this in this course. But they haven't really thought about all the other opportunities there are in, in the world. Um, uh, and you know, it's amazing to to watch. Uh, yeah, these students kind of take this opportunity and really really run with it and sometimes run with it so much that we get uh you know pushed along with them or pulled along with them should we say uh so yeah um, it's always always impressive yeah that sounds like a real um like a real privilege is this your full-time gig michael do you do this um is all your time devoted to campus capital um it's kind of split uh, so i i still run uh, otis labs uh, which is a consumer profiling company that was the company that went through the the struggle uh, to to raise investment due to um yeah that uh, the, the sheep mentality of some investors um but we uh you know we we can't manage to get it to a good stage uh, where i don't have to focus all my time on it um and uh, yeah campus capital probably takes the lion's share of, of my focus on a daily basis yeah sure um, so, Michael, I always like to sort of for the second part of the the podcast switch over and I suppose get a little bit more personal, so so that our um, our audience can hear a little bit more about you. So we've spent a lot of time going into detail on campus capital. Going to refocus now and hear a little bit more about you, if that's okay. 
Sure. So the first question that I have is, I'd like to know who some of the people are that have had the biggest impact on your life and what that impact was. Well, I mean, a deep I question. We don't, yeah, we, don't, <laughs> uh, we don't pull any punches here. Uh, I mean, that's a, that is a extremely hard, uh, hard question to answer. There's so many people, but, um, I suppose within my entrepreneurial career, I've, I've already mentioned him before, but my, my friend's dad really, uh, uh, you know, created this path for me, um, uh, by, by showing me the opportunity, uh, that is available within, uh, you know, commerce and, and running your own business. You know, he's, he's given me, I actually never went to university, uh, which is always comical for uh, the business I now run. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, he, he allowed me to, to have the confidence to, you know, just to keep going and, and, uh, and keep running, um, these, these companies and, and just trying and iterating, which is, uh, it's been the, you know, the best, uh, uh, 16 or 17 years of, of uh, my life. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, what's the best piece of advice then that you've ever been given and why do you think it was, um, it was so good? Um, yeah, I suppose this was, uh, back when, uh, when early doors where I was, uh, quite young and still trying to, you know, to, to realize and find my feet, um, in business. And one of the things that I was told then was actually that everyone is in the business of, of doing business, um, and don't feel, uh, worried about reaching out to anyone because there's, if there's a reason, a, a genuine reason for you to be in contact with that person, the chances are they'll want to be in contact with you. Um, uh, and this, this is kind of, um, the, the thing you see that, uh, you know, ex- some accelerators um, have traded off in the past, they, they, they wheel out a large list of, of, of supporters and mentors. Uh, well, the realization to me is that I didn't need an accelerator. You can just, if there's a reason, a genuine reason for you to, to be in touch with that person, you send them an email, they, the chances are they'll get back to you. And as long as there's a reason to be connected, you know, they'll be there and, uh, and they'll be wanting to, to work with you, irrelevant of your age, your background or, or anything else. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Um, what is one thing about you, Michael, that might surprise most people? I think most people are surprised um, when you know I actually uh, actually cook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the uh, you know I've um, it's it's definitely not something that I, I speak about, but I, I end up um, I've ended up finding a, a real passion in. Uh, in a sous vide, uh, and uh, which is a, a certain way of cooking, um, uh, which allows you to kind of create, um, uh, you know, restaurant quality meals, uh, you know, out of a, a hot water bath. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, it's a, it's always, a, yeah, it's, it, that's, that's always surprises most people when I suddenly come out with, um, with something they don't expect. Yeah. Restaurant quality food instead of a microwave yeah. meal. Exactly. I mean, they, they, and most of my friends think I just live off micro meals. So, you know, that's, it's <laughs> always. Um, can you share, Michael, what your morning routine looks like? And just as a, as a caveat here, um, I'm not, you know, I'm not looking for you to say, you know, you get up at 4.30 in the morning, start with two hours of yoga and silent meditation. Then you go on a, you know, a 26 mile run, you know, I just, just looking for the sort of the honest to God, what does your, what does your morning routine look like? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I have morning envy and there's a regular, uh, you know, there's regular points in my life where I sit there and go, 
successful people get up at four o'clock in the morning and they go for a run. I mean, it's just something I've never been able to to consider. Um, I, you know, I, it, my mornings are, are quite sporadic. Um, I've always struggled with routine uh, in general, um, and uh, you know, I I will. On a on a Monday, I always have a morning call with my team, um, and that's at you know eight thirty. You generally don't find me doing um, useful things before eight o'clock. Uh, uh, I I will mainly be found you know at two o'clock in the morning uh, doing more more useful things. So uh, that doesn't that's not very conducive to um, an early morning routine. Uh, but yeah, gen- gen- generally it's up. I'm late. I go and do the thing I need to do. <laughs> that is my morning routine. If that's if you can call that a routine, great. Trying to remember everything on the way out of the house, exactly. Yeah, Which I yeah. usually don't. It's the wallet that I never find. <laughs> uh, that's that seems like a good excuse to get everyone else to buy your coffee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, Michael, imagine you have got um, two good friends of yours who are sitting in a coffee shop and they're having a chat about you and you're a fly on the wall what are some of the things that you think they might be saying about you or what are some of the things that you would want to hear them saying about you wow um yeah i I suppose uh something that's actually been uh fed back before uh to me is that um you know i'm 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 always there for for my friends and and uh, reliable when they need me um but i'm not always uh around uh, you know running uh, two companies takes up a lot of time uh, and a lot of my focus and attention um but they uh yeah i, I think they i think it would be a, a complaint and also um a, you know positive that you know i am there when they need me but but generally uh, i'm not there enough um what is one thing michael that you would say to the version of yourself from 10 years ago if you could so suppose what i'm really trying to get at is what do you wish you knew then that you have the benefit of knowing now yeah so i i I ran a company um on the way up to the crash which i um uh come out of a high of uh, of cheap auctions had a lot i had a bit of money in my bank um decided i was gonna um not take that continued path, which I could only see going towards a, a chain of pound stores, maybe. Um, and uh, I set up a, a tech company um, and yeah, built it up, spent all the money myself uh, rather than leveraging the money that I'd made. Um, and it went straight into a crash and and lost most of it. You know, I luckily had towards the, well, just towards the start of the crash and, and, uh, and just after I had the support of a very good on, uh, investor um, who's invested into a, another business after that of mine. Uh, but, but even then, I was kind of just I just forged forward and I fought against it. And I had this bloody mindedness of going, um, I'm not going to let this silly little crash uh, or silly little financial difficulty or, you know, or, or a bank tell me that I can't run my business. I'm going to going to find a way of doing it. And uh, and that wasted a lot of time uh, for me. Um, and so I suppose going back, it's it's making that pragmatic decision to 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 when to quit um, and when actually something isn't worth pushing forward for, um, because that would have allowed me the freedom to 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 walk sideways, probably not lose as much money, and just uh, and and you know build a business that was for the time rather than from a time I was still chasing. Yeah, sure. Sure. It sounds like a valuable lesson as well. 
Yeah, it was. It was a, it was about a forty thousand pound lesson, but it was a valuable lesson. <laughs> wow, yeah, that is a valuable lesson indeed. Um, so, Michael, one question that I always like to sort of finish this section um, with is. If you if your house was on fire now, assuming that you know family, friends, pets, all got out safely, what's the one thing that you're going to be sure to grab on the way out to save? I mean, I've said it before; it's totally replaceable. But my sous vide's coming with me. Uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll plug it in straight away and wait for the fire to die down. <laughs> it takes it takes about a couple of hours to cook something properly, so you know it's a uh, that'll give it, the fire crew enough time to to put it out. Yeah, and you might be able to uh, give them a nice meal at the end of it. Exactly, exactly. Um, Michael, I always like to hand over to my guest then to close out the show. So suppose one thing that our listeners may want to know is how they can connect with you online. So where can they um, learn a little bit more about Campus Capital? Where can they learn a little bit more about you? So suppose it's over to you to share any websites, social media handles or anything that you'd like our listeners to check out. Sure. So I'm I'm pretty poor at updating uh, my social media, but uh, whenever I do, it's uh, on Twitter. So I'm Michael E. Howe, or one uh, uh, word, uh, on Twitter. Um, and generally, if you're a startup um, now from across the UK, so we're 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 expanding, that's looking to pitch us, um, you can reach out. The best way to do that is is through our site. Um, even though I've slated forms, we do have one form, but that's mainly to 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 filter the pitches in the right direction, and that's at campuscapital.vc. And the same location, if you're um, a student uh, from across the UK looking to become a student VC, that's um, uh, available via that site as well. That is perfect, Michael. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us in the show today. It was an absolute pleasure having you on. No problem. Thank you very much.